I saw him at a family function and he pulled me outside. We were smoking a cigarette and he pulled this coin out of his pocket and he gave it to me and he said, man, I've been clean for two years. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And he was like, man, I just go to this program and they talk about their problems and this and that. And I was like, oh, I might try that. That was Vincent Ray Williams III, CEO and founder of Urban Compassion Project, a nonprofit committed to the health, welfare, and empowerment of the unhoused. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, Vincent shares his life story with us. I want to warn listeners, Vincent's story is a difficult, painful, and traumatic one that involves several tales of violence and abuse against women and children. Please be warned that these episodes contain potentially triggering content. Vincent was born in Oakland to parents addicted to crack. He and his older brother were taken from their parents and put in various foster homes and group homes, where the abuse never seemed to stop. He shares stories of being a child and surviving any way he could. We end part one with Vincent's eventual reconnection with his brother, a meeting that would lead to his own sobering up. Please check back Thursday for part two and the continuation of Vincent's life story, including how he started Urban Compassion Project. Here's Vincent. So I'm biracial. Um, My father is black. My mother's Puerto Rican. Um, My father's family... <clears throat> comes from Louisiana. Where about Louisiana? Um, not particularly sure. So okay. we have some family from Louisiana and some family from Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. Um, my family was definitely um, products of their environments, you know, especially from the South, um, coming up in that culture, you know, trying to move from the South to um, Oakland to kind of make a better way for my father and my um, uncles and aunts, mm-hmm. you know. So your dad's family moved out here? Yeah, they to moved the out here. Do you know when that happened? This was decades ago. 50s, 60s uh, maybe? I would say earlier. Oh, okay. Earlier than that. Okay. I would say earlier than that. My grandfather on my Puerto Rican side, he came from Puerto Rico because he wanted a better life for my mother mm-hmm. um, and my aunts and uncles right. on that side. You know, it didn't really work out the way that everybody had hoped for it to Mm -hmm. you know my grandfather on my puerto rican side he settled in in hayward okay um and um my grandparents on my black side they settled in deep east oakland okay you know um and i mean i i I would like to say that everything was was great until the 80s Mm. you know and so a lot of us know what happened in the 80s my my father man i never knew I never met him, never saw his face. You know, he was a 26-year Marine vet. He brought a lot of stuff home from, you know, places he had been overseas and tours he had been on, mm-hmm. you know, and he already had an addiction. So when the crack epidemic hit, you know, it was natural. Right. Like, just move right into a new addiction. Um, and he met my mother, you know, who had her own addiction mm-hmm. you know and so it was very toxic mm-hmm. <clears throat> did they meet in the 80s do you know or? they did meet Your in, parents the met in the 80s yeah okay. they met in the 80s so i was born in 
87. Okay. My brother before me was born in 86. So we're 11 months apart. Um, up we're here the in two Oakland, youngest. They, yeah. they, they met and, and started mm-hmm. having y'all up in Oakland? Okay. Yeah. So there are a bunch of brothers and sisters scattered around. Some yeah. of us have different moms. Some of us have different dads. Oh, okay. Right. Um, but do you, yeah. do you want to tell more about the story of your your parents meeting? It sounds like they were both in rough spots, but it they was, but but they met and had y'all. So. It was I mean we hear we hear stories about you know some of the shit that people go through you know and how they have to take care of themselves and what they have to do to survive, you know, and when people describe my father, they describe him as and even still today, they describe him as a hustler, mm-hmm. like he knew how to get what he needed and what he wanted. And my mother was the same way. Mm-hmm. She didn't really have a problem getting what she needed and wanted because she was absolutely stunning back then, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so men responded to her very well. Um, and so when crack came around, they were already selling drugs, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't a dime here and a nickel there. You know, they were moving some, some, some weight. And so mm-hmm. um, I think it was because of the circles that they ran in that naturally they met uh, each other. And then my grandfather actually moved to 82nd in Oakland. On your mom's side, your grandfather? Yeah, okay. yeah, on my mom's side. They moved to 82nd <clears throat> out here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of my family basically on my black side that's in Oakland live in the deep east mm-hmm. Oakland. So naturally they kind of just gravitated towards each other. Did the families come together? Like on, on your mom's no. and dad's side? Okay, okay. No. Some clashes? There's, there's or? Been, well, there's been a lot of division. Yeah. There's a lot of misunderstanding in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was on my Puerto Rican side was, um, uh, he stood on his principles and his values. Um, and so did my other grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, and like any parent, they wanted to see the best for their children, no matter how old they got. Mm-hmm. So my mom doing the shit she was doing. And then my dad doing the stuff he was doing. The different sides of the families just didn't agree. They knew it was toxic. Right, they knew that it wasn't going to end well between the two of them, mm-hmm. um, and so it caused a lot of division naturally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you said you were born in '87. Yeah, right? October 29, 1987. Do you speak Spanish? Scorpio. Yeah. Scorpio. Okay, got yeah. it. We had a question from the crowd. Yes. Do you speak you, Spanish? Do you speak your language? <clears throat> Spanish is my first language. Oh, well, okay. That's- but there's some trauma that comes from that. Um, so. I mean, I obviously didn't get into um, my childhood, but what ended up happening with that is at six months old, we were taken, me and my brother were taken from my mom's custody. My dad had beat her unconscious. Okay. Um, And I didn't know at the time, but he had called, she had called OPD and child services because she was concerned for us Mm -hmm. and wanted to protect us. And they took us away and put us in a foster home. And it was in that foster home um, that a lot happened. And one of those things was, um, me and my brother being biracial and, you know, one of our languages being Spanish, we weren't allowed to speak Spanish. So anytime we would speak Spanish, we would get beaten, locked in a closet. Jeez. It reminds me of those story. I mean, more severe, but like the kids who are naturally left-handed and then back in the day, they'd be like, no. And they, if they didn't try to write with their right hand, they'd beat them. I'm like, yeah, it, it was, it was, I mean, over time it just kind of went a. It I don't I want to say I don't want to say it went away because, like, I listen to Spanish music, you know, and I understand conversation, um, and I've been to Puerto Rico a couple of times, and it's like when I'm in it, I'm in it, 
but when I'm not, the trauma speaks for itself and I kind of detach from it. So like if I see somebody randomly on the street and they say something to me in Spanish, although I want to respond, like my trauma won't allow me to. Oh, so it's wow. been like this process of kind of getting out of my own way enough right. so that I can discover that again and start to explore it. Right. Do you want to talk about the foster world, like grow growing up in that? Fuck the system. No. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that could be enough. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I'm an open book. Um, you know, so yeah, we went into foster care, six months old, going into foster care. Um, and from five years old, from early as I can remember, um, you know, for things as simple as like putting my shoes on the wrong foot, you know, I would be beat like, like a whooping is a whooping. Like kids used to get whoopings. Obviously it's not suggested anymore. But this wasn't a whooping. This was this was a beating. Yeah. You know, um, I fall off the swing and scrape my knee, and I would I would get beat. Um, and over and over again, we would be locked in this pantry. We weren't fed. You know, and when we were fed, we were fed um, runny eggs with ketchup, and then they would give us a cup of grapefruit juice with Nyquil in it, um, so that when we were done eating, we would pass out. So. Um, you know, and it was a home that was about seven of us in it. Uh, there was one other family that was all related, and then there was me and my older brother. Um, and I was molested every single day that I can remember until I made a decision at eight years old that I didn't know where I was going to go, but I didn't want to be there anymore. Okay. Right? So, like, I ran away. On your own or with your brother? No, on my own. Just on your own. Okay. On, on, on my own. My brother didn't want to go with me. Mm -hmm. It broke my heart. Mm -hmm. He wanted to stay. Um, his mind told him. <clears throat> being a child that none of the stuff that was going on mm -hmm. was actually going on mm. so he kind of he just pushed it down like a defense mechanism yeah so he could cope yeah i mean just... that kind of fucked me up because it was like this is this is my hero this is my brother like go with yeah. me and he was like they're not nothing's wrong like mm. so what happened when you left uh i went to a group home i went to my first group home it was in west oakland um by I want to call it Martin Luther King Park. That's not Martin Luther King Park, though. Um, but I went to my first group home, and I thought that it was going to be different as well. Right? Um, you just walked was. in there, an eight-year-old? Well, I mean, they took me. So the police took me okay. to CPS, and I spent a day or two there. And then CPS took me to this group home. Got it. Um, and they introduced me to the people and it seemed like it was all cool. And I was like, yes, finally, I'm going to get away from what had been happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and I get to the group home and after about a week, like all the facades came down. Mm -hmm. It just, every, all of the niceness kind of went away. Um, I found myself in the same position where at this group home, like we weren't being sexually assaulted, but like, I remember one occasion that I didn't make my bed in the morning, you know? I never made my bed because I never really had any covers on my bed to make them because they would be taken in the foster home we were in. Right. So nobody had ever taught me how to make a bed. So when I crawled out of bed one day, I'm looking at the bed like, okay, cool. I'll get back in it later. Um, and about 10 minutes later, I got called in and I got yelled at. Um, and we had a TV, right, a little box TV. And I remember the manager of the house, she like ripped the cord out the back of it. Um, and beat the shit out of me with it. So like a, a, a standard started to be set 
in my life for me mm-hmm. that made me feel like anywhere I go, they're going to do this to me. Like, they're going to hurt me. Right. Um, and you're eight. I'm eight. Yeah. Yeah. And soon I, I ran from that group home. Okay. So my thing became, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get somewhere. I'm going to allow them to feed me. I'm going to allow myself to be clothed, maybe get a bath, steal some food, and I'm just going to run away. And that just kind of became my thing. Did you have hope that you would find a place that wouldn't hurt you? Or did you even think about that? You're just surviving. I didn't, I didn't think anything like that existed. Yeah. I honestly thought that something was wrong with me. I thought something was wrong with me because these yep. things kept happening. Yep. And nobody was telling me that anything, you know, that it, it was wrong what was happening to me. When I was in the foster home, I would go to school, and at some point I got into these special schools, and I remember going to school, and I would tell people they're hurting us. I would tell teachers they're hurting us, right? It would be occasions where I couldn't sit down because, like, I had been molested over and over again, and I would have black eyes and busted lips, and I would walk into school, and I would tell them, like, they're hurting us, and they 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 deemed me a problem child and filled me up with all these psychotropic medications. Oh. And when I would act out because I wanted somebody to help me, they would put me in what was called a quiet room. Hmm. And they would just lock the door and they would leave me in there until I cried it out and fell asleep because I was exhausted. So when adults didn't show up, the police didn't show up. I called the police one time when I was in the foster home and the foster mom, she told the police that me and my brother had been fighting and that's why I looked the way that I looked and he told me young man you shouldn't call and lie because people actually really need help right. and when he walked out like that was another turning point for me I was like fuck you can't it's trust the police like a series of adults failing mm-hmm. children right. so school wasn't even school was a respite or like a refuge it, w- it wasn't I didn't have what it about was, friends? Were you, were you making friends at school at least? I had I didn't have any friends at school okay. because I was always in trouble. Right. I was Taken always away. in trouble. Yeah. yeah. I was always isolated from everybody else. My desk was always the closest to the teacher. It always had walls on it, right? Like it was I remember everybody else had a desk that they would sit in and they, everybody seemed like they were having fun, but I had this desk that was like right by the teacher's desk and it had these walls and I just had to sit there and if I tried to turn around to talk to somebody, like I would get yelled at. Mm-hmm. So um, how long did you stick with school? Like did you I actually, go to high school and stuff? I, I did go to high school. I okay. got expelled almost from every school that I went to because I, I love to fight people. Over here in Oakland um, or... In Oakland, okay. every school that I went to, I got expelled from, so I went to Lowell Middle School. Okay. And on my first day there, I punched somebody out by their locker because um, I knew him from Juvenile Hall, and we had some beef. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I still had the mindset, I got to get you before you get me. Right. Um, I went to Oakland High briefly. I went to Fremont, <clears throat> which is right down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go to Skyline. Skyline wouldn't accept me. Um, you had to be a little bit more... You know, bougie to go to Skyline. But um, <laughs> I actually finished school. Okay. So what ended up happening is, like, everything that I had been through, like, I have to say, like, I took my first hit of crack when I was nine. Okay. Right? In an alley in San Francisco off the of 16th admission. Right? That was shortly after I made up my mind that, like, I was going to keep running from these different places. Mm-hmm. So I started selling dope. Um, and then one day unfortunately like I had to watch somebody take a hit Mm. right because she was using my lighter Mm -hmm. and 
I liked what I saw. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that it seemed like she wasn't there anymore. And I wanted to try that. So my life went on this like downward spiral real fast mm -hmm. at nine. Mm -hmm. By 11, I was selling myself on the street, right? So that I could survive, mm -hmm. you know? Over I in San Francisco in, or, or here? Here on this street and this, in San Francisco. Okay. Anywhere that I, anywhere that I could. Yeah. And what ended up happening is I felt like, you know what? People are taking advantage of me anyways. I might as well capitalize Make money on it. it, yeah. I might as well get money off of it, right? Um, and so that, that became, you know, one of my things. And I started committing crimes. Right. You know, so, I mean, it was stealing stuff out of the store at first. And then it was snatching purses and dragging people halfway down the block to try to get their purse from them. Um, it was literally burglarizing every business in the Laurel district mm. at least three times mm -hmm. within a year. Were you kind, were you kind of on your own, Vincent? Or did was, you have a, a crew? I was, nope. Just on your own? I didn't like people. I had one friend that's from this area. Um, we were really, really close. I knew everybody here. Um, but I had one friend and it's, un it's unfortunate, but the day I actually decided to change my life, he died. You know, and I, I just barely got past like the guilt and the shame of my involvement in that. Right. Right. Shit. Um, yeah. Did you ever reconnect with your brother? Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share that yeah. story? Yeah. Fucking oh. Willie, man. <laughs> my brother's name is Willie. He's a, uh, he's my hero. Willie. You know, he he has his own stuff going on. He's in prison right now. You know, in 2010. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't really want to change my life. But I saw him at a get-together family for Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. you know, and he had gotten, he had gotten, um, he had gotten clean, you know, and... 2010, so you're like 22, 23? Yeah. Okay. Fresh out of California Youth Authority. Okay. Running around doing craziness. Yeah. And um, I saw him at a family function, and he pulled me outside. We were smoking a cigarette, and... He pulled this coin out of his pocket and he gave it to me and he said, man, I've been clean for two years. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And he was like, man, I just go to this program and they talk about their problems and this and that. And I was like, oh, I might try that. But I thought that I was a worse, a bigger monster than my brother was because some of the stuff that I had did. So I wasn't sure if it would work for me. Right. But I tried it. Okay. And it worked. Is this AA or NA? This is NA. NA. Right, and it worked. Okay. You know, and I got a little time behind me, like 18 months, and then I decided that I wanted to give it another try, um, and it actually ended at that gas station that we were just at. Okay. <clears throat> that run ended, um, and that was the last time that I got high. It was September 13, 2012. Okay. So it's been over nine years now, um, you know, and I'm, my brother played a big role in that. He played a big role in just my 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 upbringing. You know, he gang banged and I wanted to gang bang, but he saw that I wasn't like I would. By myself, I was already enough of a monster. Mm -hmm. So with other people, it would have probably been worse. And so he wouldn't allow me into that world. Interesting. You know, yeah. he wouldn't allow me into that world. He's protecting you. Um, he was protecting me. I didn't yep. see it as that, but um, as did it upset you? It pissed at the me off. Yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you know who I am? Right. Like, people know me. Right. Like, I already got clout. I don't need to prove myself. 
he wasn't having it. Yeah. You know, but also like as a child, I don't forget that there were nights where he would make me like sleep under the bed so that he could lay in the bed. So if anybody came in that night, like they wouldn't get me. Right. Being a child and putting yourself in that place, like to take on the brunt of that abuse so that you can protect your little brother, mm -hmm. that means a lot. That's huge. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't acknowledge it while I was growing up, but mm -hmm. yeah, he's, you know, he, he's kind of backslid, but he's been a lot better recently. You know, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of where he's at emotionally and spiritually right now. And we talk, he called when we were at the gas station and he'll call back later. I'll send him an email. Mm -hmm. Um, it's my brother, his family, and we've been through a lot together. Yeah. You know, from going to jail together to, um, you know, committing crimes together. And family is very important to me. It hasn't always been important to me, but, like, I find that, like, if anything else, like, I just want to make sure that I'm here mm -hmm. whenever he needs me and that I can, like, show up for him however he needs me. Because there's a lot of people out here that don't have that support. Right, right, right. They don't they'll never have that support and I just remember being locked up time and time again and wishing that I had like some kind of family support or even a friend to reach out to me and nobody ever hit me up so being able to be the person on the other side of the phone that calls you know when he calls and I'm like what's up blood and you're like hey like it goes a long way you know to yeah. help a person be able to like be on the inside and not have to for 15 minutes a day not have to deal with the stress and anxiety of what's going on yeah. on the yard they mm -hmm. could just tap in with the outside yeah no and i'm just thinking like the i guess irony or whatever of of feeling that very real isolation in a big city Man. you know what i mean it's like there's nowhere else where there's more people but the, the circumstances and, and everything leads you to feel isolated and feel like you're on your own it's powerful shit i wanted to be on my own when i was out here running the streets Man. i figured if i could master by surviving on the streets mm -hmm nobody could hurt me right nobody could hurt me i could set my own standard for you know what protecting myself looked like i'm nine years old i'm walking down high street and i got a gun on me like this and it's sticking out and i'm walking like this because nobody's gonna fuck with me you know um and you're not gonna get me before i get you mm -hmm. you know i remember walking around by MacArthur bart and like people still share this story like walking around by MacArthur Bart and I had on some shorts and a tank top and I had two samurai swords on my back oh, wow. and 250 cows in a shoulder holster and I was just walking down the street in Jeez. broad daylight mm -hmm. like it was the thing to do and I'm like 13 years old. Yeah. Right? But I wanted people to see outwardly that I was a hard ass when really I was terrified. Totally. Yeah. So outward like warrior. Yeah. But inner turmoil. And all somebody had trauma. to do was just press just a little bit and I would have right. fallen apart. I right. did over and over again. I wasn't hard. Did you ever reconnect, you or your brother ever reconnect with y'all's parents? Hey. Or, and do you want to share that? <laughs> so my father died in 97 okay. from complications of AIDS. Okay. Unfortunately, he gave HIV to my mother who Ooh. gave it to me as a child okay. through childbirth. Um, so that's a big part of my story. Okay. Um, my mother she made a big decision when we were children with what she did and I blamed her for everything right I blamed her for everything that happened in my life because she didn't show up I never really I never really had a view of my father I didn't 
care one way or another. So even after he passed, like I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you never really had a relationship or knew him no, very well, yeah. I didn't care to. Right. Like the the sole focus for me emotionally was my mother. Right. Right. You did this to me. Mm -hmm. You put me in this place. If it wasn't because of you, none of this shit would have happened. And I didn't meet my mother until I was, I was, I want to say I was uh, 15. That was Vincent Ray Williams III. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Vincent shares how he started Urban Compassion Project. Part two drops Thursday wherever you listen to podcasts. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 180 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, please rate and review the show so we can reach even more folks. We love email, and we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.